0: Let us pray together. Father, send the Spirit of your Son, that we might know the hope to which we've been called. We pray this in our resurrected and ascended Lord's name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how the Easter season, the last seven weeks have been for you exactly as we've worshiped together in the time of COVID-19. I can imagine that if you're anything like me, you've gone through a range of emotions and feelings connected to your desire to gather in person with the body of believers called the church. I suspect you've had times of grieving and times of lamenting Times of accepting and times where you've decided you would just make the most of it. Times of celebrating the God who has been present with you nevertheless and times where you've wondered why it's so hard to experience God at all during this season. No doubt for many of us, these thoughts and feelings are a regular part of our life as we journey with God but perhaps they've seemed more intense, more frequent, and wider ranging in this season than they normally are for you. I know that at least one reason for this has been the physical distance required to slow the spread of the virus. The sudden and all-encompassing physical absence of the majority of people from our regular lives has seemed to be anything but a gift. Has it been a gift for you? It surely has not for me. Yet I suspect that this is not the first time that you've encountered the reality of physical absence in your life. Perhaps the absences you've experienced before were wrapped in the blessing of a move for a new job or for the beginning of college, or for the pursuit of a romantic relationship. Yet, even in these blessings, you've had to experience and struggle through being physically distant from close friends, or former neighbors, or even your loved ones. Or maybe the physical absence has been connected to more painful situations, like a job lost or relocated parents separating and divorcing, deployment for war, or a loved one going to prison. Perhaps you've known the physical absence because of your own or a loved one's prolonged illness or the recurrence of cancer that's made them be separated from you or from others again or maybe it's been that seemingly final separation that comes in death that cemented the experience of physical absence in the foundation of your very being. Whatever the case may be, we've known the challenge and hardship created by physical separation and absence long before phrases like social or physical distancing were ever part of popular parlance. The Apostle Paul, too, was no stranger to physical absence. It's precisely because of his physical separation from communities to whom he ministered that we have so many of his letters in our scriptures today. He wrote to communities of believers that he longed to be with in person, yet because of his calling to spread the gospel and the message of Jesus far and wide. And because of his being imprisoned for this very message, he often was not able to be with those that he longed to be. He regularly wrote them about his longing to be present with these communities. And at times he would lament that he would rather be sharing this with them in person. And almost always he wrote of his hope that someday they would be together physically present with one another. In the letter to the church in Ephesus, the book we call Ephesians, Paul concludes by reminding the church that he is an ambassador in chains for the message and the mystery of the gospel. Because of his imprisonment, he sends another to be present with them in his absence. The Apostle Paul knew and experienced the struggle and pain of physical absence as well as or more than any of us do. So it comes as some surprise to me when we read a passage like the one from Ephesians chapter 1 that we just heard moments ago. In Paul's many writings to those from whom he's physically absent, he often strikes A different tone than I would if I were writing. He greets his audience with the peace of Christ, with blessing, prayer, and instruction long before he ever mentions or laments the lack of being physically present with them. I, for one, would lead with that. I miss you so much. I wish I were with you. I can't wait to be with you again. Ephesians begins in a similar way to Paul's other letters. For someone who perhaps has always been physically separated from this community, we don't know if Paul ever visited the Ephesians. Paul writes with a a surprising amount of praise of God and thanksgiving for the people. The language of the first chapter of Ephesians is effusive, rich, and evocative as the words run breathlessly together, barely pausing for the inhale of a comma or a period. Verses 3 through 14 in the English are actually all one sentence in Greek. It begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it ends, this is the pledge of our inheritance toward the redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. After the long sentence that details God's salvation history, which is marked by an assurance of God's good purposes for those in Christ and the resulting praise of God's glory, we can almost hear Paul take a deep breath as he begins another long sentence. This one is equally rich, but redirected slightly as he remembers the people before God in thanksgiving and supplication. Having heard of the people's faith in Jesus and their love toward the saints, thanksgiving abounds from Paul. Paul has not been present with the people as they demonstrated their faith through works of love. He's only heard of their faith and good works. And yet, he ceaselessly, constantly gives God thanks and remembers them in prayer. Perhaps Paul's an example for us to give thanks constantly as we hear of people's faith and works of love, maybe particularly in this time where we don't get to be present with one another. Paul prays, that God would provide the people a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might see more clearly. The ability to see, not simply with one's physical eyes, but more importantly with the eyes of the center of their being, their will, their imagination, the center of their heart, will allow the Christians in Ephesus to experience intimately and know deeply the hope, the riches, and the power found in Jesus. Paul recognizes that even the Ephesians who have a praiseworthy faith and an admirable love for the saints still need an enlightening to comprehend the gift that they've been offered. They need to see The fact that they need to see more clearly surely suggests a growth that happens even in the life of the faithful, a deepening and a maturing in life with God and an understanding of who God is. And their need to see more clearly also suggests that what Paul is proclaiming is full of mystery and is not easily discernible or as he wrote to the church in Corinth, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Perhaps part of the challenge of seeing clearly comes because of the very struggle we find ourselves in today, the struggle related to physical absence. Paul follows up his prayer for the believers by proclaiming the mystery of God's power put to work in Jesus. The mystery Paul describes is the power at work through Jesus being raised from the dead and being seated at God's right hand. He tells of the power of God, which is activated among the church through, of all things, Jesus' physical absence from earth. Paul uses language that pictures Jesus, the one who is still and forever embodied as God and human together, physically seated at the place of power and might, God's right hand in the heavenly places. When we hear this language of heavenly places, or even the language of heaven, it's important that we not merely look up to the sky, as tempting as that may be, but rather that we imagine the realm of God's reign and rule. To speak of heaven is less to speak about a location that's out there somewhere, and is more to speak of the place where God's will is fully done and God's reign is fully present and active, instead of merely picturing the sky. Picture Jesus ruling a kingdom where God's way of life and love and blessing are always perfectly practiced. That is God's space. That is heaven. From this writing, the Ephesian Christians learn of the the paradoxical gift of Christ's physical absence the gift of Jesus' physical absence among the people and his physical presence with God is the power of God that gets activated in and among God's people. Let me say that again. The gift is the power of God activated in and among God's people. And Paul is clear this is no small potatoes power. This is the power that is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. It's the power that exceeds every power and every other would-be authority that could ever be named. Paul describes something perhaps even more remarkable than proclaiming Jesus' authority and power above all else. He finishes his rhetorical flourish by saying, God has put all things under Jesus' feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In his current position, Jesus is the source and the summit of the life of his people. He is the head of the church. From the place of God's right hand, Jesus fills his people with power and life through the Spirit. On this Sunday, we not only remember, but we celebrate Jesus' physical distance even his absence from our physical presence. And we call it Ascension Sunday. We do this because the church throughout the ages has recognized the paradoxical gift for the present time of Jesus's physical absence from us and his physical presence with God at God's right hand. By virtue of Jesus going to be with the Father, Christ's body enlarges beyond one physical space into all of creation, sharing the message of hope, the riches of Jesus's inheritance, and the power that work, that's at work for the sake of God's good in the world. So while Jesus is physically absent, Through the Spirit alive in the church, He is also very present. Also, by virtue of Jesus continuing to be fully God and fully human, He acts as the head of the church and continues to be the ultimate ruler and judge, the ruler and judge even of the church. It's tempting for us to claim authority and power because we are called Christ's body, the church. And as such, we are the ones physically present on earth representing Jesus. Yet the ascension of Jesus and Paul's words to the Ephesians remind us that power comes from a source that is not our own. It flows from Jesus and his ways of ruling and reigning. Knowledge of this truth acts to save us in two ways. It acts to save us, on the one hand, from the idea that if the church were just in charge, then everything would be right in the world. History has proven otherwise time and again. Yet it also saves us, on the other hand, from despairing about how poorly the church has represented Jesus in the world. These are not options when we, the Church, neither think too highly nor too lowly of ourselves, because we remember that Jesus always remains our Lord and Judge. As people who embrace the gift of Jesus' ascension, we've been privileged to be freed from the need to cling to power, to maintain control and to grasp for privileged status. As people who embrace the paradoxical gift of Jesus's physical absence, we know that our relationship with God and our connection with one another does not depend exclusively on being together physically. We are open then to be a church that does not have to have a lesser authority or power or ruler or dominion call us essential in order to be essential. We are open to be a church that does not has to have to seize or cling to power to have power that is above all other ruling powers working in and through us. Because of Jesus' ascension, We are open to be a church that does not have to claw and grasp and fight and destroy in order to survive, but that finds life even in the places of death. The story of Jesus's resurrection, his death, his resurrection and ascension is a story of upside down triumph and a paradoxical gift. We are a people of the one whose paradoxical power wins by losing, gives life by dying, and is more expansively present by leaving. Paul looks at the paradoxical gift of Jesus' physical absence and the power that comes as Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father and he breaks forth in praise and awe. He bursts forth in thanksgiving and prayer. Of course, Paul still looks for the day when Christ will return, bringing together once and for all the realms of heaven and earth so that God's will is done on earth as in heaven. Nevertheless, he praises God and gives God gives God thanks for the power at work in and through the church as Jesus sits at God's right hand. What a gift! In this season of life, the truth of the ascension is for those of us who so desperately long to be together in person to worship our Lord. And while we join Paul in longing for physical presence and ultimately for Christ's return, we are able to give thanks even now when God enlightens the eyes of our hearts to see the gift of God's power at work in the church. So as people who live in the power of the risen and ascended Christ, the one who is our source and summit, And as we see God at work through the power of Christ in the church, let us give ourselves to awe and praise. Let us give ourselves to wonder and thanksgiving. Let us give ourselves to knowing the hope to which we have been called and the riches of Jesus's glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of Christ's power. And may we do this to the praise of God's glory now and forever, amen.